Now, today is Memorial Day, and we are excited and honored to welcome to the show Jocko Willink. You know him, of course, decorated retired Navy SEAL officer, author, and co-founder of Echelon Front, where he's a leadership instructor, speaker, and executive coach. He spent 20 years in the U.S. Navy SEAL teams. Jocko, thanks so much for joining the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, so let's talk about Memorial Day and, and what it means to people who've actually served. A, a very small percentage of Americans at this point have served in the military. That's obviously changed over the course of American history. Post-World War II, a huge percentage of Americans had served or knew people who had served. It's a smaller percentage than ever. So how does it feel, you know, as, as a member of the military, as, as, a, as a veteran, uh, when you look at Americans and how we celebrate Memorial Day, how should we be celebrating Memorial Day? Well, first of all, I, I think for those of us that served and and saw the sacrifice with our own eyes, I think for us, every day is Memorial Day. I know that I think about the guys that I lost every single day. You know, Mark Lee, Mike Monsor, Ryan Job. I think about those guys every single day and and the way that I try and remember them and memorialize them is to live a life that honors their sacrifice. And I think it's nice that America does set aside one day where everyone, people that didn't serve, can think about these uh, brave souls. But I would definitely recommend to think about them more often than one day and think about what their sacrifices meant for all of us. Yeah, Jocko, it's kind of sad how, because so few, as I say, people have now served in the military or know people who have served in the military, it's basically just become a day off for a huge number of people. And I have friends who live over in Israel where mandatory service in the military you know, is, is just the way of life over there. And on Yom HaZikaron, which is their Memorial Day, there is something that I think is quite beautiful and I'd like to see actually imitated here in the United States, which is at a certain point during the day, it's like 2 p.m., they literally shut down all the traffic in the country. They sound some air raid sirens. Everybody stops their cars. Everybody gets out of their car. And for about five minutes, everything in the country just stops. So you can pay homage to, to the people who have fallen in the line of duty. Obviously, when it comes to the United States, we should. I think that we need some sort of, of ceremony that's now attached to this, specifically because so few Americans know what it's like to serve or even know somebody who served. Yeah, I think that sounds like a, a very moving event to have, and it would definitely be fitting to have something like that in our country. So let's talk about the state of the military right now. So yeah, it, one of the big problems that the military is having is just recruitment. Uh, and and there is it's a problem from, from two sides. One is the, the problem of the military not being able to recruit people because too many young people are apparently... They have criminal records or our obesity is a massive problem. Maybe people who are just not prepared to go into the military. On the other side, there have been complaints that that the military itself has sort of lost its way in terms of how it's appealing to particularly young men, asking them to join the military. What do you make of, of, of both sides of that equation? Well, to start, I think you're right. I think recruiting is missing the point at this juncture. I think there's plenty of young men out there that want to be challenged. They want to serve. They want to fight. They want to go to war. That's the only thing I actually ever remember wanting to do as a child, Ben, was I wanted to be some kind of a commando. I wanted to fight. And then I got to watch war movies. And even the anti-war movies that came out in the 80s, they were all pro-war movies to me. They just got me more engaged, made me want to join the military even more. And I think that the advertisements that they used to have for the military that showed that this was a sacrifice. It showed it was gritty. It showed it was hard. It showed it was a challenge. That's what I was attracted to. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I went and did. And I think that the kind of softer commercials that are out these days definitely don't appeal to people that would want to be soldiers. So yes, I think that's definitely part of it. I think they need to realign their recruiting and, and go a little bit harder on the recruiting. And by harder, I mean, showing the harder side of service. And then as far as people being out of shape, yeah, I think that's a, an American issue right now. 
We are watching too much TV. We're spending too much time on our phones. We're not going outside. We're not participating in sports. We're eating a bunch of junk and it's making us soft. That's uh, that. That's all true. So let, let's talk about what it's like to actually go through the process of, of joining the military. Uh, it's obviously something I never did, but but you have done it. And, and at some point, I'm going to maybe have you put me through the rigors and we'll see how I how I perform as a 39 year old uh, of, of mid range athletic ability. Uh, so what what is it actually like to go through basic training when you were going through basic training and then going through SEAL training? And then what, what are the standards today? Because I, the, the reports are that they've been lowering the standards specifically because it's very difficult to, to recruit people into the military because there just aren't enough people who could even stand up to the old standards. Yeah, I mean, obviously I haven't been to boot camp for about 30 years, but boot camp is a shock to people's system when they go in there. The biggest shock, I think, is that you lose all of your freedom and all of your individuality. I remember, you know, they're going to shave your head. They're going to put you in a uniform. They're everyone, every personal freedom that you have is taken away. And I think that's the biggest shock to the system. Every every minute of the day is is accounted for by someone else. And I think that's a big shock to the system. And, and you get through that. Then I went to basic SEAL training. Basic SEAL training is really, really hard. <laughs> it is a very hard course of instruction to make it through. They usually graduate between 10 and 20% of the people that start the, the process, it's very difficult. And that's what they're looking for. They want to make that training as hard as humanly possible. They're looking to make people quit and they do an outstanding job of it. I know that the, the attrition rate, it goes up and down over the years, but what they've done in the past several years is they've really tried to standardize what is, what is required. And they've tried to put it into actual data to say this is what is required. And the reason that they did that, at least in the SEAL teams, was to try and prevent the training from getting easier, trying to prevent the, the, slow, uh, the slow devolution of the training. The training is supposed to be inhumane. And they want, they want to keep it that way because when you're in the SEAL teams and you're going to go out on an operation and you're going to be counting on the guy to your left and the guy to your right, you want to know one, with 100% certainty that no matter what happens, they're going to give everything they've got to take care of their teammates, including you. So for, for those of us who didn't serve, which is nearly everybody in the audience at this point, you know, what, what, what do you, can you describe for us what it's like to actually be on the battlefield? Because most of us have only seen war movies and, and people who have served in frontline duty, are actually pretty resident, reticent very often to talk about what it's like to be on the front lines. It, they, many of the people I've talked to actually consider it almost sort of private uh, to be asked about that sort of stuff. So what, what is it actually like to be on the front lines? What is that, what is that experience like? There's, um, I would say, look, there's going to be times, periods, time periods where you're bored and then they are, there are time periods where you're horrified and then there's time periods where things are funny. There's time periods where things are sad. I think what I've always described combat, it's like life, but it's amplified and intensified. So the, the normal fear that you might feel as you're driving down the road and someone swerves in your direction and you get out of the way, that's that. it's like that, but it's much more. The emotion that you feel when you're sad because your kid is going away for the summer and you're going to miss them. It's like that, but it's absolutely amplified and intensified. So the emotions are much stronger. The fear is stronger. The joy is stronger. When you get back from a mission, if you had some close calls on that mission, you feel that euphoria, that you're alive and it feels great. 
So that's what I think combat is. Combat is like life, but it's amplified and intensified. And I think that's why when people come back to the normal normal life, sometimes that can be a, a tough adjustment. But at the same time, I know I came back and, and said, well, I've got this huge opportunity. I'm alive. I've got scores of friends that sacrificed their life for, for our country. And I'm going to do my best to, to live a life that honors them. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you need Black Rifle Coffee because I need Black Rifle Coffee. So my kids wake me up too early every morning. And I'll be honest with you, like until I have the coffee, I'm in a very, very bad mood. Black Rifle Coffee is keeping me alive. Black Rifle Coffee literally fuels the Daily Wire. Our office drinks about 40 pounds of their coffee every single week. If you haven't tried Black Rifle Coffee yet, you need to. A great place to start is their Complete the Mission fuel sampler, giving you a taste of the entire spectrum of Black Rifle Coffee flavor profiles. Offering four-ounce bags of the following roast, the Silencer Smooth, the AK-47 Espresso, Beyond Black, and Just Black. The only hard part will be picking a favorite amongst these classic roasts. Black Rifle Coffee is a veteran-founded coffee company operated by principled men and women who honor those who protect, defend, and support our country. With every purchase you make, they give back. Stop running out of coffee. Sign up for a Coffee Club subscription. Have Black Rifle Coffee delivered straight to your door on a schedule. Coffee Club subscribers receive their high-quality coffee at lower prices with free shipping. Plus, they get early access to exclusive deals and prices. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use promo code Shapiro at checkout for 10% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 10% off. You can also find Black Rifle Coffee in grocery and convenience stores near you. Black Rifle Coffee is indeed America's coffee. Jocko, what do you make of the media coverage of the military? So, so when it comes to you know, the, the media coverage of Memorial Day, very often, this has been true for you know as long as I've been alive, there, there was sort of a movement. In, in the 70s, there was an actual anti-military movement. In the, in the aftermath of that, uh, the, the movement seemed to be from some people in the media that the members of the military were actually victims, that they were sort of suckered into joining the military, and then they come back, and they're all, and they're all John Rambo and, and, and can't function in everyday society. That's not actually what the statistics show. What the statistics actually show is that the, the, if you actually compare young men in the military to young men out of the military, they have very similar rates of, for example, suicidal ideation uh, and that you're using the wrong comps. Very often, you'll see the media take you know, a, a cohort of 18 to 30-year-old men and then compare it to like the general population. And that's not exactly how you should do that sort of statistical analysis. What do you make of the media's you know, treatment of, of people who have served? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, you bring that up in Vietnam when people did get drafted and they didn't want to go and they were forced to go and they got home and treat, got treated absolutely terribly by by the public. And now we've got an all we've had a, all the volunteer force for decades. And yeah, I don't think we're victims at all. As a matter of fact, we literally volunteered to do that job. We went overseas. And I think that 99 percent of the people get better from serving. I know I absolutely became a better human being through the combat that I experienced through the overseas deployments, through seeing the world, through seeing what it's like in other countries. I know that I'm a much better human being because of my service. And I think that's the way the vast majority of veterans feel as well. So, Jocko, one of the questions that I get a lot is, is from people, young conservatives particularly, because obviously that's my audience, uh, and, and many of them ask about whether they should join the military or, or not. And I say, well, you're, you're asking the wrong person because obviously I, I didn't. But what what is one of the questions they ask is, you know, you don't know under what circumstances you're going to get involved in a fight, obviously. You don't know who the commander in chief is going to be. You don't know sort of what the, the upper echelons in the military are going to be promoting in terms of, for example, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and all the rest of this. What What is the case that you would make for young people to join the military today? Well, I, I mean, I absolutely love being in the military. It, it was outstanding. It, it helped me so much. I enjoyed it. And I think if you want to complain about something, then you should you should actually go and do it if you're going to make some sort of assertion about it. So I think, look, when you join the military, can you go and fight a war that you don't believe in? 
yeah, I guess that could happen. And you can make a stand. There's people that become conscientious objectors because they don't believe in, in, in a war that's happening. Sure, that can happen. Can you get told to do things that maybe don't make sense to you at the time? Yeah, that can happen. Now, listen, people always have this weird fantasy that in the military, you're getting told to do these immoral, unethical things. And you're in this big quandary about if you should execute a plan or not. That doesn't actually happen. There's no senior leadership that's telling you, hey, I want you to go and do something that is immoral, unethical or illegal. That doesn't happen. Well, I should say that rarely happens. It certainly never happened to me. I was never told to do something that was immoral, illegal or unethical. So I think joining the military is a very positive thing. But I also think that you better think about what you're doing. You know, when when a lot of times young men will come and talk to me about joining the SEAL teams, hey, you know, I really want to be a SEAL. And, you know, what they think of is they think of being able to tell, you know, the girls at the bar that they're a SEAL, being able to tell their, their high school classmates that they're now a Navy SEAL. And I always talk to them for a few minutes and then I say, hey, are you willing to die? Because that's what it is. When you sign up to be in the military, you are signing the dotted line to put your to put your life on the line for the country. So I would definitely keep that in mind. You're going to be in, you're going to be in tough situations. You're going to be cold, wet, and miserable. You're going to be without food. You're going to be without water. It's a very rigorous job. You're going to have a, carry a lot of weight around. And there's a chance that you are going to die. And there's definitely a chance that you're going to watch your friends be wounded or killed. So if you want to join the military, you've got to understand the reality of being in the military. And if you can get through that mentally, I think it's probably a good move. Jack, you mentioned it right there. And obviously it's Memorial Day. How, how should people deal with loss? I mean, obviously having experienced loss of friends on the battlefield, what, how do you deal with something like that? So unfortunately, I've had to deal with this a bunch. And there's there's two things I realized. Number one is you're going to get hit when you lose someone close to you. You're going to hit with waves of emotions that that you that you aren't able to control, which is a terrible thing. And it's especially terrible for us because we're adults and we're used to being able to control our emotions. And all of a sudden we'll be breaking down and crying. And those waves of emotions, we think there's something wrong with us because that's happening. Well, it's not there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you miss your friends. Now, those waves of emotion over time, they get weaker and they they get they get longer time between them. So eventually you'll get to a point where you won't get hit where you'll very rarely get hit with those waves of emotion and you'll be OK. And some people feel guilty about that. There's no reason to feel guilty. It's just that your mind has now processed the loss and you can now move forward. So be ready for those uncontrollable waves of emotion that are going to hit you during a time of loss. So that's number one. Number two, again, unfortunately for me, I ended up having to write a lot of eulogies for my friends. And what I found over time was writing eulogies is actually very cathartic. And you now have, you now can write down your emotions. You can write down your feelings. You can write down the, the beautiful memories that you have about your friends and what they gave to you and what they taught you. And I think that is very useful. So whether or not you're actually going to stand up and, and deliver a eulogy, and what I tell people now is even if you're not doing that, write your friend a letter, write your loved one a letter and, and tell them, explain to them what they meant to you, how they impacted you, what they did for you, 
and the mark that they left on you. And that I think is a great way to work through grief. Again, it doesn't eliminate those emotional storms that are going to hit you, but they will certainly help you to process those uh, those events. So, Jacko, final question for you. You know, we have a very polarized political situation here in the United States. We have a tendency to, to think of each other as good or evil in very absolute terms. But you've actually faced down people shooting at you on a battlefield, shooting your friends on, on a battlefield. What did you learn about human nature and good and evil in that situation? Well, there certainly are incredibly good people and there's certainly incredible, incredibly evil people. You know, we we had uh, insurgents that skinned people alive. So I don't know if you, I don't know if a, it seems like an abstract idea that an, a human being could do that to another human being, but it certainly happened. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we had people who literally sacrificed their lives to save their friends. So there are these extremes out there. And we certainly need to be cognizant of the fact that there is evil. And if you don't confront evil, evil will flourish. So be ready for that. Be aware of it. Don't let it slide. But also remember that most people aren't in the extremes. And I think you and I have had this conversation before. You're, I always say that you're at point, you know, you're at the point of impact for political divisiveness. Most people in America aren't like that. Most people in the world aren't like that. So listen to what people have to say. Try and keep your ego in check. Try and understand other people's perspective. And it makes everything better in the world. Well, that is Jocko Willink. Jocko, thanks so much for stopping by on Memorial Day. You should check out his book, Extreme Ownership, all of his other books as well. Jocko, really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Happy Memorial Day. You too. Alrighty, folks, we've reached the end of the show. Have a wonderful and meaningful Memorial Day. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. 'll we'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.